Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Department. I'm your host, Paul Jostino, and with me today is Course Director Dan Connolly. Hello, everybody. We're wrapping up phase two of the course right now, and where we've come so far is we began with looking at the purpose of military leadership, an ends-based approach. And then we talked about the sort of ethical reasoning and development of character that can help a leader navigate toward that end. And then in phase two, we've been talking about assessment. And part of the burden of prudent leadership is to assess reality well. And in the assessment phase, we've been focusing really on self and organization, both the, the macro organizational and maybe smaller down at the, the team level, getting people to think about organizational culture uh, and thinking about themselves. In assessing reality, you go further than those things. We also have to assess our situation. And when we move to assessing situation, especially in the military operational environment, we encounter a lot more uncertainty. And so, Dan, as we talk about moving from phase two on assessing self and organization to phase three, facing uncertainty, can you talk about how we're navigating that move and what that uncertainty is? Can you unpack that for us a little? Sure, Paul. I think the thing that's uh, important to set out right up front is that, unfortunately, uh, assessment is notoriously difficult if you're going to do it honestly and do it well. I think we need to look no further than the Vigo article that we just had in the course. And we remember that Vigo describes military culture as authoritarian and bureaucratized by design and for very good reasons. However, this is the sort of brew that makes the shock that fair assessment can provide sometimes a little too much to bear. And so uh, I actually found it very interesting. There's a great book. The book is Assessing War, The Challenge of Measuring Success and Failure. And there's a line in here attributed to Hans Morgenthau, realist of a bitter kind uh, that often gets examined, at least briefly, in the IS field. And he issued a warning here that the United States has a strong tendency to turn conflicts into morality plays and crusades. I think that's a gateway into understanding how this can be challenging when you're turning your lens of assessment to conflict or to the future. The future is uncertain. We recognize that. But what we bring into that assessment can sometimes skew that assessment, whether it's our hopes about what we're looking to achieve in a conflict or as Colonel Donathorne pointed out, sometimes it's our service culture and its core beliefs that sometimes tends to want to skew that assessment. The other thing I think is realistic, too, that we have to confront is something the psychologists will call fundamental attribution error that's going to affect leaders in their role of assessing the future, looking at what is uncertain because they, they don't know it, can't really accurately predict it. And that's that human tendency that when something goes right, of course, I achieved it. If something goes wrong, it must be someone else's fault. So there's all sorts of inherent challenges to trying to get assessment right. And it's a big concern. It's something that I'm looking forward to all of the seminars engaging in as we turn to phase three. So to continue here, I think the thing to do to really kind of nicely bridge phase two to phase three is we're turning to the future and this realm of uncertainty is to understand a little bit about how organizational cultures look at the future. So, Paul, let me throw this over to you and ask you for some, some thoughts, some ideas on how cultures assess the unknown. You previously mentioned the, the lecture from uh, Donna Thorne 
about services, core beliefs. And, you know, when we talk about organizational culture, what we call those core beliefs is, you know, these are shared basic assumptions, things that, that hold value and understanding and meaning for a community, for the community that comprises the culture. These shared basic assumptions are things that help you understand the world. And so when you when you're assessing reality and you come across something new or uncertain, shared basic assumptions can either give you an automatic answer, this is what we're dealing with. For the Air Force, there may be a tendency, all right, here's a problem. Our tool is air power, so air power is going to fix it. You know, our shared basic assumptions can help guide our decision-making or evaluative process. And really what's going on there is cultures engage in deductive reasoning. So our shared basic assumptions are principles about the world. And when we look at the world, we, we try to find a principle that can be applied to it and help explain it for us. And when cultures can't find one that helps explain the situation, that's when a lot of anxiety hits it. And dealing with the fog of war, you know, that produces a lot of anxiety. So what organizations struggle to do, and this is part of cultural change, is that when the deductive reasoning we do reasoning from a principle with our information to understand it doesn't work, we often struggle to engage in conjecture instead. And so the the challenge for organizations or for leaders is to be able to navigate uncertainty through responsible use of conjecture. And so a decent example of this would be Alexander the Great. His tutor was Aristotle whom we've spoken about so much in this course. Aristotle is famous for developing syllogistic reasoning, which is basically deductive reasoning. But Alexander, in his military leadership, can't make clean syllogistic pairings between everything he's dealing with and decision-making. And so instead, he uses conjecture. And that process of conjecture is an attempt to use his shared basic assumptions or his developed assumptions as an individual, these principles he's living by, and attempt to apply them in the most reasonable or plausible or highest potential ways in his situation. And that really becomes a a type of uh, risk calculation. That's a a fairly good example of of how cultures assess the unknown and, and that tension between deductive reasoning, thinking within the principles we have, and conjecture our willingness to think a little bit outside the box, and a way of, of finding some comfort with ambiguity. Yeah, Paul, that's, that's excellent. I think what you've done, too, is you've started to shape the, the ground here so that we can see why leadership and solid leadership here is so important, because cultures will tend to buckle, organizations will tend to swerve and maybe avoid the risks of conjecture, striving to find that safer ground. There's an example here that we have, uh, the Kong book, on use of historical analogies. It's an excellent read. One of the dangers there, of course, is the misapplication and misuse of historical analogy so that organizations will kind of buckle and find their safe space, which actually isn't the right call for what's facing them in the future. The Assessing War book also does a really good job here in its concluding chapter by addressing issues like misunderstanding the nature of the war in the first place. I think that's something we see hugely at play in the Fisher text on the Revolutionary War. The other issue being that once the war is in progress and you have conflict and casualties, there's a tendency to want to fight to make the assessment tell the story you want it to tell. 
something that a guy like Palchinsky stood against, and uh, we see where it got him, right, uh, in the Soviet Union. And so uh, I want to turn the conversation a little more specifically now to leaders and their role. So, Paul, if you have a thought on that, and then I've got a story to tell on doubting. Okay, great. So really for for leaders who are facing the unknown and attempting to navigate the responsible use of, of conjecture, sort of adaptive prudence, the first thing I'd, I'd like to emphasize is the need to have the firmness to flex. So everybody's going to be rigid and pliable in parts of their lives. And what we've been challenging in this course is to develop firmness or rigidity around your commitment to character and ethical decision-making. And what that is meant to do is not to create rigidity in your entire life, rigidity in military leadership scenarios, but rather to give you a solid foundation from which to flex and adapt in scenarios that require it, where your shared basic assumptions aren't going to get the job done. And so, you know, a good example of this in sword making, especially old swords, like before you had really high quality steel making, you'd use multiple rods of iron to make the sword and you'd use uh, soft iron for the core of the sword. It's got low carbon content and it gives it flexibility. But then you use harder iron getting closer to steel with a higher carbon content to make the edges. If you had a sword that was too low carbon, Throughout the entire sword, it bends when it hits something. At the same time, if you have a sword that's fully high carbon the whole way through, it can shatter. And so the importance is having that mixture of firmness and flexibility. And that's what self-assessment is for, is figuring out if I'm pliable in the right places, rigid in the right places. And then the other thing I'd uh, emphasize is that as leaders, it's not just our own firmness to flex. It is leading other people down the same path. So in phase two, we looked uh, at organizational culture by Edgar Schein. And one of the passages near the end of the assigned reading talked about learning cultures. And so for leaders, developing learning cultures in the groups that they lead is, is highly valuable. And so a learning culture is proactive. It's committed to the learning process. And so that means being committed not just to learning doctrine, but also to learning the learning process and how you discover new things and evaluate new things. And so there are a lot more components to what a learning culture is. But if we think about it, that idea of being willing and proactive to invest the energy in, in learning to learn learning complex evaluation processes. It takes a lot of effort. You know, there, we may want to prioritize other things, uh, but there's a lot of value in creating that learning culture. And so that's one of the main things a purposeful leader can do for dealing with the unknown because the truth is the answer to a problem, you may come up with it. You know, you may be exceptionally brilliant or have the right combination of, of traits and experiences to answer the problem. But having a learning culture means you've got a team of people who are helping you devise the right option, and they're empowered by the learning culture to bring up those ideas. Yeah, thanks, Paul. That was excellent. I wanted to bring everyone back to doubting 
and a quick story on doubting if we uh, can think back to the uh, Dr. Lassane's book and why. Because I think he does a nice job as a leader of encapsulating all three phases. What you'll notice is that in his prosecution of the Battle of Britain and his need to develop a coherent strategy literally to face an existential threat with the outcome very uncertain at that point in the war, he's got to pull on all of his resources uh, and dig deep. So the drama to me is found on a couple of pages. I'll just point out real quick. Pages 130 and 131 in the book does an excellent job identifying a key skill here and quality that Dowding was able to practice. And it's a discussion about squadron rotations and the fact that, as it says in the book, Dowding had to violate a widely and, and, and traditionally held squadron ethos of how to manage its human resources. Dowding chooses to go against that for the sake of engaging in the Battle of Britain in the defense of the country. And he succeeds, but it was, as the book says, a shot in the dark. And the quality that Lassane identifies is the moral courage that it took to make this choice. We see that same courage on page 118 and 119, in which the book clearly lays out that Doubting had recognized what the enemy strategy was dependent on from a study of that enemy and understanding the German military and its imperatives. Doubting realizes that he cannot rely on what traditionally would have been accepted in RAF culture about point defense. And he opts for, uh, instead, a series of choices that doesn't allow the Germans to get their teeth into their uh, operational objective and thus sustains the viability of the RAF and, and the UK military so it can survive and fight again. It's a powerful statement about the ability of a leader here in a case to rely on his character in this case and the virtues that go with it in action, dealing with and recognizing his organizational culture and leading that culture and organization into an uncertain future. Yeah, that's a, that's a great study in adaptive prudence. What are you going to, to flex? Is it going to be your strategy? Is it going to be your squadrons? Doubting has a very long-distance view of the end he's trying to accomplish. And that's a a really tough thing to try to hold to when you have a lot of other demands. And so it's a great character study and, and, you know, honestly the ways these things can work differently in different cases. But he's dealing with incredible uncertainty and manages to work his way around towards the the winning solution. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, one thing that the book points out is that he wasn't afraid of bad news. And I believe that that extended to include um, unfortunate or unpleasant data. So here's, here's a leader, a military commander, who's accepting that data, reviewing it, and as you said, taking the long view in a way that unfortunately, as the assessing war book points out, the assessment can sometimes take over, and it becomes in a way an end to itself, and the larger purpose of the conflict and your organization can get lost. That correlates really well to one of the other aspects of a learning culture, which is open communication and that ability to, to handle good and bad news, handle ideas. Hopefully that's a lot for people to think about as we move into phase three of the course and we get closer and closer to wrapping up this year's iteration of the Leader Development Course. And so with that, we'll conclude for today. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Leadership Department.